Today's sermon text is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 14. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For one body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I could listen to you read all day. My goodness. Um, um, everybody, welcome. My name is Chris Bennett, and uh, my, uh, my pleasure is to be able to maybe lead us together to worship Jesus and gather around God's word this morning. Um, I just want to say one thing in regards to what Ron shared a moment ago. Our church's primary growth strategy is to equip you to reach your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our primary growth strategy is not to have kicking services that will draw other Christians here. That's, that happens. It's, a fa- it's just a reality. But our primary growth strategy is that every single one of you are equipped to share the gospel, to share your life in Jesus with others and bring them to a knowledge of the truth. That is our primary growth strategy. That's it. There are things that, other things that we'll do. And when people come to our church and they enjoy our services, thank God, grace to you. We are happy that you are with us. But our primary growth strategy is the equipping of you, each one of you individually, to competently and powerfully share the gospel. This is what the book of Acts teaches us. A spirit-baptized church where people went out. Where people went out. Not where people expected folks to come and see. That's the, the story of the New Testament. Evangelism and discipleship scare me. They do. I don't want to do that. But the penny dropped for me 
When it dawned on me one day as I continued to read the scriptures and immerse myself in God's word, and I realized that evangelism and discipleship is not like this separate compartment over here, and you've got the rest of Christianity over here, discipleship and, or Bible study and worship and all that stuff. The penny dropped for me when I realized that there may be no more cutting edge of worship than evangelism. Because when I'm helping more and more people and you're helping more and more people who previously didn't worship Jesus begin to worship Jesus and he is receiving more praise and more worship from more and more people, then I think, man, that's about as good as worship is going to get on this side of his second coming. I want to be a part of that. My flesh doesn't want to be a part of that. I want to watch TV. But I want to be a part of that. And I want to encourage you to please participate in these opportunities. And we're going to keep rolling this out indefinitely until Jesus returns. Training you, learning how to train you. We're all in this together. This is a big experiment. So please take advantage of this. Um, Our goal at Renewal Church is is pretty simple. And I'm speaking pastorally here. This is not overarching goal of where our church is going, but I'm talking about pastorally how we see our church nurturing you and your faith where you are. Our goal is that we would be a safe place to walk the long and sometimes perilous journey of change. We want to be a safe place where you can walk the long and sometimes perilous journey of change. This is the legacy that I desire to leave. I'm thinking more about legacy these years. I don't, I'm not in my 30s anymore. I'm, I hit 42 this last year, and it, it is stunning to me that I am less than eight years to 50. That's crazy. My parents are saying I'm still young, but that's, that, they're reaching, they're reaching. Um, uh, but I'm thinking about my legacy. I'm thinking about now that I've been in ministry for over 20 years full time. I'm looking back over the landscape of my legacy and I'm going, I'm looking for fruit. I'm looking for fruit that will remain. And I've become more and more unsatisfied with the trend of my personal ministry and the ministry of this church. That's not to say that God, I've not seen God's grace. We have. Oh my gosh, we have. But I'm not satisfied with what I've seen. If it ended all today, I would have much regret. Much regret. I want to leave a legacy of transformation. Now, here's what I mean by that, because that's just a vague term. What? what, How? That's what I'm asking. How? Because when I think of transformation, this is what I'm primarily thinking about. That through my ministry and the ministry of our leaders, that other leaders in this church would emerge who are spirit-saturated and are competent to train you to live a life for the glory of Jesus. 
But in addition to spirit-saturated leaders, we want to create spirit-saturated protocols, systems, ways of doing things. That might sound really crude and unbiblical, but what I'm talking about is culture. I'm talking about history. And we are all trained by culture. Ron was talking about that. Ron was saying that his, he knows that the missing link in people living a long life of effective evangelism and discipleship is a lack of culture. They don't know what it's like to live a do life with other people who are living these values. This is culture. We want to leave, I want to leave a culture of transformation at our church. Because let's be honest. Most of us in this room, for years and years and years and years, have said this to God or something like it. I am so tired, Lord Jesus, of asking you to take this away from me. But here I am again. I have fallen on my face. I don't know what to do. I've repented and repented and repented and repented and I'm just as messed up and jacked up as I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I do not want that to be our story anymore. I hate that story. That story makes me cringe. I am doing everything that I possibly can to assault and destroy that story in your life. So I can no longer lean on the assumption that if I just teach God's word, it'll happen. We've got to be trained. We've got to be equipped. But in order for this to happen, to be a part of of a kind of church where people experience Love. Where you can be a part of a community that people will patiently endure with you. A community where no matter what you are, no matter what your past is, no matter how ugly and embarrassing your present is, that people will endure with you and bear with you and encourage you. Everybody wants this, right? We all want to be known and loved despite our flaws. The problem with that is that for in order for that kind of culture to happen, you've got to be that kind of person who will love other people despite their flaws. In order for there to be a church that embraces people and patiently endures with people and teaches people and shows people gently the way of godliness as gently as Cheryl ministered God's word to us already, we have to aspire to be those kinds of people ourselves because we are the ones together who make the culture of this church. Not just me. All of us. We together are making culture right now. Right now. It requires ownership. And the Lord this week, and the last few weeks as I've gotten ready for this this, um, 
talk this morning. He's brought me back all over and over and over again to 1 Corinthians 12. I was wrestling with Colossians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 12, and a couple of others, and I couldn't get my eyes off this one. So I want to talk through these scriptures just for a couple of moments because it has a lot to do with what I'm talking about. It has a lot to do with you, I hope. I hope you see it. I hope you see that. Look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Bible know that this is the beginning of Paul's longest talk on the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. There are other places in the Scripture. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it in Romans. Other places talk about this, the gifts of the Spirit per se. But this is the longest talk in the New Testament on the gifts of the Spirit. And a lot of people sort of tune out for various reasons because this is, quote, about the gifts of the Spirit. And although that is most prominent in Paul's mind, the gifts of the Spirit, he's talking about much more than the gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about church culture, the way a church functions. And when I say a church, I'm not talking about the organization now. I'm talking about us, the organism of church. And this is why he says not just there are various gifts. He says there are various gifts, there are various service, and there are various activities. He's not just talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about how we behave with one another in or out of church gatherings. He's talking about how we interact with one another, how we treat one another. He's talking about how the church should function, the organism of the church, the organism. When you look at this, here's what I want you to think of. The behavior of the Holy Spirit that we are learning together. When we talk about gifts activities, and service. We are talking about the behavior of the Holy Spirit that we are learning together. We're not just talking about doing weird things in a church gathering. We're not just talking about having some incredible insight into someone's life that you work with. We're not talking about any connotation related to the gifts of the Spirit more than we're talking about us as God's people learning to function and behave the way the Holy Spirit behaves. And to go a little bit deeper and a little bit more nuanced, allowing the Holy Spirit to behave His way through us. This is what you could narrow down the baptism of the Spirit. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Look at verse 7. And it says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To every believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What is the manifestation of the Spirit in this context? Gifts, service, and activities. So the Spirit has been deposited into our lives. Every person who follows Jesus has the Spirit, whether you feel it or not. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit brings to us new life. The Holy Spirit causes us to look at Jesus, the one we used to look at and think, oh, that is a joke. I do not want to live that religion. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in and causes us to see Jesus in a new way where he is more compelling than any other person in the universe. The Holy Spirit did that. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So we're talking about gifts, activities, service, all the way that we act and behave with one another and outside of this church. This is what we're talking about here. That the Holy Spirit would control us and live through us. To each is given, to every believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer has been given a gift. And the purpose of the gift is the common good. One translation says, for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to me and it's given to you so that my life will look like Jesus who lived in such a way that he, every single day he got up out of the bed, he said, I'm going to live for Jason today. I'm going to live for Molly today. I'm going to live for Karen and Tripp, Kate, Kay, Mike. I'm living for you today. The manifestation of the Spirit gives us unique and divinely anointed services, activities, and gifts so that I can live for you. And how many of you know that we need the Spirit to do this? Because Chris Bennett does not drift that way. But the Spirit does. The Spirit does. For the common good. What is this generally telling us about the church? I'll tell you. Every believer is responsible for the health of their church. Every believer. Not just the leaders. Every believer is responsible for a God-glorifying sanctifying, spirit-filled culture in the church. Every believer. Every one of them. And then he goes into the next few verses, verses 8 through 10, and lists nine distinct gifts of the Spirit. Now, that, that's a whole other conversation on why he lists those nine. Because you can go to Romans chapter 12... And Paul has another listing of gifts. Some of those gifts in Romans 12 are here in 1 Corinthians 12, and some aren't. For some reason, Paul lists these very uh, um, seemingly powerful, quote, more miraculous feeling gifts. Because in the other one, he talks about teaching. He talks about serving. Those don't feel miraculous. They feel hard. But in this text... All these gifts seem impressive and amazing. And that's another conversation on why Paul is doing that that I'm not going to go to right now. But what I will say is this. All those gifts and all of the activities of service and love and care are all activities of the Spirit that God has divinely given every one of us who follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus... You have gifts, activities, 
and services that God has anointed you to give to each other. You're anointed to do that. You are divinely anointed to do that. So the question is this. Will you discover and use your gifts? And will you use your gifts for the proper purpose? How do I discover and use my gifts, Chris? I'm just asking you right now to be open to it. Will you discover and use your gifts? We're talking about repentance here. We're talking about going from being a consumer, individualistic, trying, what can Jesus do for me? How can Jesus make my life better? To being the kind of person that is not a consumer and doesn't view the church through an individualistic lens. I'm talking about living a life anointed by the Holy Spirit where you are depositing and you are loving and caring for others. This is what everyone is called to do. Everyone. Everyone. So will you be open to discovering and using your gifts? And two, will you use them the proper way? And that's what Paul's dealing with for the Corinthians because they were using them improperly. They had this hierarchy of gifts. They saw certain people in the church as more important than others who had these particular gifts and could use them well. They got it all wrong. Um, There's this word in the text here in the Greek that's used for gifts, and it's called charisma. Charisma, that's where we get our word charismatic from, charisma. And it doesn't mean gift. It's not a direct translation. What it actually means is grace. And so you'll read some commentaries and some theologians will say, they'll say grace gift to help us understand what Paul's talking about here. Charisma is a grace gift. It's a gift of grace. I'm saying this because the word charis is not always used to describe an incredible gift. Like, for instance, one of the ways it's used is in Romans 6.23, where Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about a gift of the Spirit. He's talking about the grace to be born again and know God, to be reconciled to God. Charis. But then if you go back to Romans 1, it's interesting because he uses it again in Romans 1.11. Check this out. For I long to see you, Paul says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he goes on to say, so that we can mutually encourage one another. So he's giving us the purpose of the gifts there. He wants us to discover our gifts and function in our gifts so that we can mutually encourage one another. What does it look like when two or more people are mutually encouraged? I think the whole testimony of Scripture answers it this way. That my affections and your affections are stimulated for Jesus, which leads to me and you enduring with one another in love. Because I can say that my affections for Jesus are stimulated, but if I am still as impatient with you and you're as impatient with me, then that doesn't hold much water. That claim does not work. Truth claims don't impress God. 
to be mutually encouraged, just to live our faith in such a way, not that the preacher encourages you and stimulates your, your affection for Jesus. That's partly, that's included in the New Testament. But here Paul says, fundamentally, I want to impart to you Roman Christians a gift, help you understand your gift, so that when I come hang out with you, our affections for Jesus are stimulated and we love one another with a devoted love. We can get through stuff together. Think about that phrase. We can get through stuff together. Would you say that with me? We can get through stuff together. That's Christian love. Would you say that again? We can get through stuff together. That takes skill. It takes the Spirit to do that. It takes the Spirit. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but many. Every one of us is uniquely equipped and called and commanded to strengthen this church. And when I say strengthen this church, I don't mean give a bunch of money to this church, although we want you to do that. I'm not talking about that here. Paul's not talking about that here. He's, I'm talking about we are all called and commanded and equipped to strengthen one another. We are the church. We are the church. No matter what your story is, no matter how messed up your life is right this second, you are no less called commanded and equipped to strengthen me and other brothers and sisters in this church less than anybody else or no, and no more. Because it's the Spirit. It's not my ability. It's not yours. So you don't have to wait to qualify to be a strengthener of Renewal Church. You can do it right now. You don't have to achieve a certain level of maturity to be a strengthener of our church. Every one of us, from the moment we breathe our first breath in the kingdom of God as born-again Christians, we are qualified strengtheners of the church. Every one of us. Check this out. What this text also tells us is that we weren't only baptized into Christ, we were baptized into each other. I've rarely heard talks on this. Rarely heard this teased out. We weren't just baptized into Christ. We were baptized into each other. What are the implications of that? What are the implications of that? Anybody have any? Okay. What you go through, I go through. Good. So when we are baptized together into Christ... And we all drink of Christ, of the Spirit. What are the implications of that? What does that mean in real life? When you suffer, I suffer. What else? Anybody? We're covenant brothers and sisters. 
And I think what you may mean by that, Asit, is that our brother and sisterhood goes deeper than blood. Is that what you mean by that? You probably wouldn't say no, but maybe you would. I don't know. Uh, Somebody said something over here. The Holy Spirit enables us to communicate at a deep level and commune and fellowship with one another. Why would we need the Holy Spirit to do that if we all got along well together and hung out with people just like us? Is the implication not what Paul says here, that I'm doing life with people who are markedly different from me? We're not just talking about people who are poor, who live in a, good, a, bad part of, a bad part of town, and people who are rich and live in a good part of town. We're talking about slaves and free in this text. We're not just talking about an economic gap between people. We're talking about people with entirely different worldviews, coming together, drinking of the Spirit together, baptized into one another. Any, any other implications come to mind? When it comes to our behavior, we're one, yeah. What about the way this impacts our behavior together? What does this, what does this do to us? What's that? More forgiveness? Yeah. Is that you, Eileen? Good stuff. Say that again. <laughs> wait, wait. It's a lot. It's good. It's a lot. I think that being baptized into, into one another implies that there's a deep trust between us and that we're able to receive the gifts that we have for, for one another because we trust one another. What do you think about that? I think that's right. Anybody else? Anything else? Anything come to mind? Mm. Covenant, a seat says he wants to expand as the professor he is on the word covenant. It mean, He really is a professor. That's not a jab. Um, he, it means that we protect one another. We watch out for one another. Could we also say that rather than withdrawing from one another through some perceived or real offense that we lean into the relationship as painful as that might be and have face-to-face conversations rather than passive-aggressive comments on Facebook? Seriously. Because it's easier that way, right? I mean, how many of you... Anybody, raise your hand if you've gotten a chew-out text before. Raise your hand. Raise it high. Come on, I want to see who... Chew out text. Anybody like got, somebody went off on you? Uh, breakup text. Keep it up in the air. I want to see it. Keep it up. Not, not only breakup texts, but. I'm serious. Anybody who has had somebody confront you via text, raise your hand. If you've done that, keep your hand in the air. Hey, I'm a sinner too, man. I am.
That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We watch each other. We help each other. We serve each other. My stuff's your stuff. Man, it's just... We complete one another. So, one more, John. You got to preach this. Come on. But I don't mean a long sermon. But you got to say this. This is good. If, if you look at the end of chapter 11, he's talking about communion. And he said, Many of you are sick, weak, and are even dying early because you're not treating each other right. Then he goes into chapter 12 and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But he can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit because he talks about the body. He says, You're in one body. Can you hurt yourself and not be wounded? You're members one of another. And that's when he's culminating in this. We're all in Jesus together. You can't hurt a brother and a sister and not feel that. It's going to come back on you. That's why communion is so important. You might say, well, I don't really feel that. Yeah, you do. Because there are too many jacked up churches where people have been desensitized to the gospel because of, uh, because of a common and cultural dysfunctionality in that church. You felt that. It may not hurt you per se, but it shields you and pushes you from the one true Jesus. You feel that. Great word, John. Great word. All. Thank you for your participation, guys. Um, I want to jump into, take another few minutes and talk through a... Um, a slide presentation that I put together over the last uh, few days. I'm borrowing this from my friend John Carroll. He did this at a, um, at a retreat about five or six years ago. And it was so striking that I thought, I've got to use this. And then like that summer, Josh Samuels preached on it here, and it kind of ticked me off but because everybody thought he was so smart and so awesome. But um, that's okay. Um, but I want to use this again and... Uh, yeah, Josh isn't here right now, so that's okay. Um, I want to uh, use this again because I want, in order for us to live this out, we're going to have to lift up the Band-Aid and go a little bit deeper. Because you can't just do this. We've got to know where we are and what's going on inside of us. It's a diagram. If you go ahead and put up slide one, it's gonna, you're going to see a continuum in a sense. And it's a, it's a continuum, a, a presentation called Family Mountain. Uh, again, my friend John Carroll came up with this. He's the guy who preached here last year. He founded uh, City Leadership, Choose 901. And I saw him do this at a conference, and I thought, I've got to do this with our church. Usually when people... I'm going to speak about a church, but this applies to a group of friends. This applies to a new job. This applies to a new neighborhood. This applies to anything that's new and feels awesome. We have people come to our church all the time. Man, I've been looking. I cannot believe this church exists. The praise and worship is amazing. The pastor is strikingly handsome. Um, 
the, he preaches amazing. Um, the, the youth pastor is gorgeous. Happy sibling day, Denise. Um, youth pastor is beautiful. Um, everybody's so nice. I cannot believe that I've never heard of this church or been to this church. This feels so good. Usually when we make a decision to jump on board something, it's because of Awesome Hill. And a lot of places have Awesome Hill. A lot of places do. But you can't stay on Awesome Hill. Why is that? Because once you see the uh, underbelly of renewal, (laughs) you're going to see we're really screwed up. Not necessarily. Go to the next slide if you don't mind, please. We all end up in Crappy Valley. (laughs) All of us do. This is John Carroll's phrase, not mine, so don't get mad at me for saying crappy if you're like, you know, my kids can't say, be quiet to each other. Uh, So um, that's a cuss word at my house. Uh, So we all end up in Crappy Valley. Crappy Valley is what happens naturally once you get past the naivete of Awesome Hill. Once you get past how good something feels, and for the first time you are seeing the nuances and the details of that culture. It could be a culture of friendships, a culture in the workplace, a culture in church. It can be a culture in a family that you marry into. Oh, my, my in-laws are the best. And then 10 years later, you're like, I cannot stand to be around these people. You've moved from Awesome Hill to Crappy Valley. Now, why is it that we've got to face Crappy Valley? And I want to remind you that most people, when they eject from relationships, churches, jobs, etc., it's because they're in the middle of Crappy Valley. I'm not saying there aren't ever good reasons why you should eject from something, a dysfunctional relationship uh, or something like that. I'm not saying there's not. There are sometimes there are reasons for that. But in our day and age, most people, most people, I don't think I'm wrong for saying this, I don't have data to back this up, but I think most people eject far too soon rather than waiting. We eject in Crappy Valley. And the reason why Crappy Valley has to happen, no matter how amazing a church is, is because of the next slide. Just a very basic slide of what human history looks like right now. We are living in what Paul calls in Galatians 1 verse 4, the present evil age. It is an age that is undermined by Satan, sin, and self. It is an age that is made up of people who, contrary to what Ron said, we are not perfect yet. We are not without negative feelings and emotions and thoughts and toxic behaviors yet. We live in this present evil age. It is a broken age. It is an imperfect age. It is an age in which the best people will let us down. The best people. Because nobody's Jesus. Nobody is. But one day at a a point in the future that is undisclosed in Scripture, Jesus will return and then everything is awesome. Everything will be awesome. Everything will be awesome. That's my little phrase for 
my entire eschatological point of view, the millennium and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, Jesus returns, everything will be awesome. At what part of human history are we doing church right now? In the present evil age. Every one of us are living our lives where? Say it again. The present evil age. Every one of us. So that means when we gather together, we're bringing all of our junk from the present evil age. This is why every experience that you have on Awesome Hill will descend into a crappy valley. Everyone. Now, crappy valley can last days, weeks, months, years, or decades. Sometimes crappy valley lasts for reasons we can't control. But a lot of the time, we stay in crappy valley just because of our stubbornness and our sin and our pride. We won't confront things. And and when I say confront, I don't mean yell at people. I mean have conversations not over a text message, but face-to-face. I know it may jeopardize the relationship, but you got to have those. you got to have those. Many of us end up in crappy valley, and then we move on, we eject when we're in crappy valley, and we go to a different church. And that church is awesome hill for a while. And then we we eject, and we go to another church, and try to find awesome hill. We are looking for this elusive, eternal, awesome hill. The scripture gives us no promise that in this age we will find a plateau, awesome plateau, and stay there. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Again, that is not to say that there aren't reasons to eject at times. There are. There are biblical reasons at times. But we're not talking about those exceptions. We're talking about the general practice of our culture that when things get tough, we eject. I want Awesome Hill again. But there is no long-lasting Awesome Hill. There's not. And so here's what preachers do. Preachers try to engineer church in such a way that everybody stays happy. And there are preachers who are burning out not because they're just preaching the gospel, man, and they've been faithful, but because they are so tired of juggling all the lives of the people and keeping them happy and keeping them satisfied and all that. It's, it's, it's tempting. It's alluring. I face that temptation every day. If you're, if you're a preacher, and you, and you know that temptation well. You know it well. To keep people happy. To keep people content. But that's not my job as a pastor to keep people happy and content. My job is to help people find contentment in Christ alone, not Chris alone. That's my job. And for those people who get that, they can move up the mountain to a special place. Would you go to the next slide, please? Family Mountain. You see, when you're at Family Mountain, you've been through stuff together. You have endured together. As a matter of fact, the next slide, please. You've got this pattern in your life of climbing. Important and gentle, sometimes stern 
confrontations, conversations with people, working through issues, being honest, being authentic, being open, being, pursuing holiness in your life, not being so authentic that they can just deal with me because that's how I am, but I need to change too, that kind of thing. This is a lifelong journey up Family Mountain. And what's awesome is when you get to a place, a family mountain with a community of believers, next slide please, you can look back over years that you've lived together with these people and you can see a history. Remember last week when Crawford Loritz was talking, he said one of the things that we have, that, that our children are not getting today is a sense of history. History. The model that we've put in front of our children is ejecting when things get tough. We eject from jobs, we eject from people, we eject from marriages, we eject from churches, we eject from friendship groups. Anybody ever had anybody in here that all of a sudden nobody will, that person won't call you back anymore? Raise your hand. Anybody? Look around. We've all experienced this. I'm not saying this to rile you up and get you mad at that person. Don't send them a confrontational text right now, okay? But most people here do not know what it's like to ascend Family Mountain and get to a place of stability with a group of people. We've been through stuff together. Next slide. So I want to ask you, where are you right now? Some of you in this room are in Crappy Valley. Some of you have descended Awesome Hill. You're on the other side. You're in the shadow of Awesome Hill. And it doesn't feel good anymore. Crappy Valley does not mean jump ship. And please understand, I'm not saying this because I'm afraid somebody's going to leave the church right now. I, have, I have, do not have that feeling whatsoever inside of me. Right now. <laughs> At this very moment. But some of us are in Crappy Valley. Some of us are in Awesome Hill and you need to get ready because thorns are coming your way. You're going to have run-ins with people. You're going to have experience, you're going to experience problems. People are going to let you down. I may let you down. Other elders in our church may let you down. You need to get ready for that. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. You've got people in your life that are on Awesome Hill. You're going to let them down. And you're going to be the reason for their crappy valley. We are all the reason for somebody else's crappy valley. All of us are. Not one person owns this. Every one of us own this. Every one of us does. And for those of you that are on Family Mountain, don't get cocky. That's not a static place. You still have to monitor your heart because you can slide right back down that hill in the crappy valley. Chances are, there, there are greater chances you won't if you're talking about somebody on Awesome Hill. Because when you've got a history with people, you're more inclined to protect that relationship rather than jump ship. But I bet a lot of us in this room have had people that we've gone through hell and high water with that left us. It can happen. So don't get cocky, don't get arrogant. Before you can do what we've been talking about, drinking from the Spirit together, Living out our identity as baptized in the Spirit together, you have to figure out where you are on this. You might think, not no problem, I can knock it out of the park. I'm an awesome hill right now. Have you gone through anything at our church? 
You've got to know where you are. So I'm going to, I'm going to take 30 seconds here. I'm going to stop talking. And I want you to meditate and write down on something, your phone, piece of paper, the bulletin, something. Where are you? Think about that. Where are you? Now I want you to write down one more thing. What does this tell me about me? In other words, if you're in Crappy Valley, what should that tell you? Do you need to have a conversation with someone? Do you need to finally plug into a community group? Because you're discovering after two years of awesome church services that that's not filling your cup. Because church services aren't meant to do that. Maybe you're on Awesome Hill right now and you're going, okay, now I need to sober up and brace myself. I need to be ready because spiritual warfare is coming my way. My relationship with my brothers and sisters, my pastors is going to be tested. Maybe you're in Crappy Valley because, um, gosh, this just came to my mind, you're a volunteer. And you've been building that same one or two nurseries for the last three years with no help. That's not cool. Did you know it's okay to feel crappy in Crappy Valley? You're not in sin because you're in Crappy Valley. It's okay to feel pain. Don't just suppress those feelings. Let's talk it out. I gave this appeal to our muscular men who are not serving in our church. We need you. We need you. Maybe you're on Family Mountain. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be cocky. You could slide right back down that hill in the crappy valley. Watch your heart. How can you help other people ascend to Family Mountain? You know there are people around you who are in crappy valley. They're in a dark place. Go to them. Be with them. Don't try to fix them. Just be with them. Lord, I thank you for today. We need you, oh God. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your mercy. Lord, I pray in your name that every person here, every person here would have clarity where they are, not only in you, but in this local body of believers. Where are we? And would respond reverently and worshipfully, not passively. In Jesus' name.